great Wednesday here. Uh, just wanted to give you guys a quick announcement. We have the outdoor trade show season coming up upon us. Um, for those who don't know, this like January through probably March, April, there's a lot of outdoor trade shows. Um, and Seek Outside, we're going to be going to a good amount of them. Um, you got Outdoor Retailer, Western Hunt Expo, Sheep Show, uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. There's all, all sorts of good trade shows out there. But just wanted to let you guys know uh, that we're going to be going to a few of these. And they're a great opportunity to come check out some stuff. Uh, you know, if you don't know how big a teepee is, just from looking at, at it online, uh, you can come to one of these trade shows and see it in person. Um, so we're going to be going to Sheep Show, which is going to be, I believe, January 12th through the 14th. Uh, we're going to be going to Western, and, and that one is in Reno, Nevada. We're going to be going to Western Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City, uh, which is going to be sometime in February. I believe it's like around the 14th or something. You can look it up. And then we're also going to be going to Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, uh, which is in March in Missoula, Montana. So come on by and, and check some stuff out. All right. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. Hey, you, should, you think that's bad? See Ryan on the phone in the office. <laughs> Well, we have uh, Paul Lewis uh, from FHF Gear here. Um, Paul, how you doing today, man? Good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners have uh, have heard of FHF, and if you haven't, you definitely got to check them out. But you guys are pretty big with the the BHA crowd. I feel like we're always at the same trade shows and stuff like that. Um, but do you want to just kind of, for those who don't know what FHF is, uh, do you want to give people the breakdown there? Yeah, basically, uh, we are a company that I started back in 2008, early 2009, that uh, builds tactical hunting and fishing nylon gear. So, uh, you know, kind of started as a homegrown hobby business almost into a side gig that was doing pretty well into a full-time job and now keeps a few of us busy full-time yeah i'm sure i'm sure um yeah so so it's i I feel like i don't want to your business is interesting because on one hand it's it's almost like niche right it's uh it's um catering to a like just in maybe in the marketing, it's kind of catering to a, a small percentage of people, hunters, fishermen, you know, I'm sure you guys have some of the tactical, uh, you know, soldiers out there, tactical crowd and sh- and soldiers. But um, I, I've definitely seen FHF products being used for other things. You know, people use it for photography. Um, I know uh, our one of the guys that works here, Lee Harrison, he runs an FHF uh, chest pack for you know extra batteries and stuff like that. Uh, I know that some people have used the the chest rig for like running, trail running, and stuff like that. Um, but like, you kind of just want to go over that, like how how that came to be. I mean, did you guys start off with a specific customer set, or from the get from the get go, was it always just this conglomeration of people buying the products? You know, it's interesting in that when I first started, uh, I joked that I, I started this because I was cheap and I wanted to build something that, you know, I was on our SWAT team, but I like to hunt and fish. And it seemed like, you know, during the hunting season, I was always pulling stuff in and out of, you know, one bag or another or losing things. And, you know, it really came to be that everything I made, I just wanted to have multiple options, um, and I wanted to make it as versatile as possible. So really, you know, kind of the goal was to always make it, make things so that people could use them in multiple ways and not, you know, spend their money for something they use one month a year. Um, they can mm-hmm. kind of make it so that they can use it all the time and, you know, switch things out. And, and, and in that, in doing that, I think it, it did end up in the hands of a lot of people who I didn't necessarily expect to use it. Um, and as over the, you know, the, course of the years we have 
you know, the chest rig, for example, you know, we've come out with different insert kits to let, you know, originally it was a fishing specific pouch that I always had plans mm. to build, build out as a multi-use pouch, but you know, it was hard with not having the time and energy to, to get into all the different kits. And now we've started to build those out and we have more coming. And, um, so yeah, I, I think like you said, it's, it's been interesting to watch it get in the hands of a lot of different people. Yeah. So how'd you get into, cause you started, uh, this whole thing with like, basically it sounds like just you and a, a sewing machine, um, during, during the SWAT days, did you go to school for, to learn how to sew or was it just YouTube videos and stuff like that? Yeah, it's actually, I have a biology degree. Um, didn't ever plan to be in law enforcement and kind of fell into that. And then, as I said, kind of being cheap one day, I figured I could make a piece of SWAT gear that um, I didn't want to buy. And that led me into yeah YouTube. And there was a old website called DIY Tactical that I you know, browsed for hours and hours and hours and kind of learned tutorials from there and just, you know, bought a little bit of fabric and taught myself how and, and used those, you know, tutorials that were on that website as well as a bunch of others to kind of learn what I was doing. Um, it had kind of a forum feel on it where, you know, I got to know a lot of other gear makers. We'd trade tips and tactics and sources and um, really just kind of started building gear for teammates and hunting partners and would charge enough to pay for the materials and and you know that one thing led to another and just kind of grew and grew over the years that's so funny man i hear i feel like i hear about especially like in the outdoor industry i think it or you know especially the manufacturing portion of it um i don't think that it's really a profession that many people uh, <clears throat> like go to school or, or when they're, you know, 15, 16 years old, the outdoor industry, especially production is not really something that people are like, Oh, you know what? I want to start making, making chest rigs. It's always something that just people fall into. Yeah. It seems like most of the people I've met are in that exact situation. Uh, I've, you know, had the opportunity to meet a few people who've gone to that school down in, in Utah. They're, they have the outdoor products class down there mm. but i really don't i'm sure there are others around the country but that one's the closest one to us and so i've met yeah. a few people through that but um yeah it's almost everybody who's here certainly everybody who's at fhf but everybody i've met in the industry is yeah like you said just kind of saw a need and felt like they could do something that wasn't being done and and here they are Nice. So, so were you trying to be a, were, were the thoughts after you got your, uh, biology degree, were you trying to get into like being a game warden with law enforcement or what yeah. was the plan there? Yeah. Early on, you know, I wanted to go into actual, you know, be a biologist. And then about halfway through college, I'd taken a bunch of criminal justice classes and, and was encouraged through some of the people in law enforcement I knew I had worked a security job and dispatched for a while um, to kind of look at the warden job which was significantly I was told would be significantly easier to get than a game biologist just because the, the availability out there mm -hmm. and, and the competition and the year I graduated college the state game wardens here in Montana had a hiring freeze so they weren't uh, um, weren't hiring at all so i took the written test i was on a search and rescue group here took the written test for the sheriff's office because search and rescues run through the sheriff's office and ended up getting hired sort of by you know in my mind you know wasn't my plan necessarily i wanted to see how i did and you know it turned out to be pretty good it paid better at the time it i got to stay in bozeman um i was able to get some time off during the hunting seasons um, whereas game wardens wouldn't have, none of those would have <laughs> worked out for me real well, I don't think. Um, yeah. but I was pretty naive and, you know, getting into it and, you know, I was only 21 when I got hired and, um, kind of learned, learned quick I was forced to learn quickly. Yeah. That was being a game warden was kind of one of the things that I was, you know, in high school, that was one of my career paths. I've, have you ever read the the book Wildlife Wars? I, ha I haven't. No. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's by a guy, Terry, um, I forget his last name, but he was a game warden out in uh, California. But I just read, you know, he kind of goes through all these stories of him being a game warden. And uh, it was just, you know, full of uh, almost like aspirational, you know, you're, you're like, oh, man, that sounds so awesome. Like he, he would he staked out one night looking for uh, a couple Roosevelt elk. Uh, poachers and then the the herd got spooked and almost ran him over and i was just like oh man that that looks awesome and then started started hearing from game wardens you know talking to them because I, I was pretty serious about trying to trying to do that and um well I, I shouldn't say game wardens i talked i think i talked to one game warden that my my uh neighbors knew um and uh he, he kind of persuaded uh, uh dissuaded me from from doing it just with the money and you have to move around a lot and stuff like that and you know it's it's tough work but man i'm i'm so so thankful that we have them um but so you were you were swatting bozeman i was yeah we you know it's a in this county our swat team is a, a part-time team which means it's you know collateral duties my mm-hmm. full-time job was patrol or detectives i worked i was in charge of our detective division for a number of years and it was mm-hmm. always you know we just additional training on top of that and then you know call outs so um it was always kind of a like i said collateral duty that you would do on top of your normal 40-hour week and so okay kept you more more busy um and uh you know in in this i always joke in this climate it was the patrol guys would always call the SWAT team when it was 20 below zero and you know so your call out bag was enormous and like i said that's my hunting gear and all that stuff ended up in that bag just to try and keep me comfortable keep you warm yeah yeah so i i I feel like people listening would probably be like oh SWAT and bozeman obviously and you just said it was collateral so obviously you didn't have that many um call outs to be you know 40 50 hours a week but i'm sure that it was much more you know there's there's cd parts of every city and i'm sure that um there in bozeman even though nobody would think it to be um you know uh, it's not los angeles but i'm sure that there were there were definitely you know enough uh illegal activities to keep you guys busy is that is that correct or were you mostly called out to just kind of handle minor things or how did that work? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny because our, I think our busiest year that I was on the team, we had like 18 call outs, um, you know, which a little more than one a month, um, in our slowest time period, uh, during a transition with the sheriff who didn't, didn't want to use the SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we went 18 months without a call out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, after doing 18 months of training every month, um, you, you start to wonder if it's worth it, if you're not even getting used, but you know, it was typically yeah. barricaded gunmen or you know, arresting, you know, a homicide suspect or, a you know, aggravated robbery suspect or something. Um, early on in the, my career, it was, you, we'd get a lot of barricaded suicidal folks. Um, the policies kind of changed after, um, everyone in the country realized, we weren't for the most part doing them a lot of favors surrounding with the SWAT team. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was more, yeah. more focused on negotiating and letting them sober up versus trying to get them out and get them to the hospital. Um, yeah. so, you know, it was, it, it kind of transitioned over the years, like I said, with different administrations and as tactics changed over the years across the country. But, um, you know, we would do some VIP protection as well. Um, presidential vice presidential visits to the areas um Mm. we would assist their you know secret service teams with kind of almost back up to their teams um so yeah kind of a little bit of everything um certainly like you said not not working la or something but um enough to keep us busy yeah yeah so so you're working SWAT team obviously went to school for that or you did that after school um and then you started sewing you know some some different rigs and stuff like that for for your buddies what were those like what was the what were the first things that you were really making for people was it like chest rigs or was it like you know tactical vests or something like that what was what did you start off making 
A little bit of everything. I mean, it was a lot of custom stuff. Like I said, teammates, you know, I was doing everything from handcuff pouches to um, <laughs> dump pouches and just kind of random, you know, tactical stuff. Eventually made a bear spray holster. Back at the time, nobody made a Molly compatible bear spray holster. So oh, really? I made those. Um, and with Mystery Ranch here in town, you know, all my hunting buddies wore Mystery Ranch packs with Molly on the waist belt and everybody was just zip tying their bear spray holster to the side of it um those kind of took off on me that was kind of the first thing i got mass produced and you know i still joke that you know i think i had 300 of them made the first time and was sick to my stomach had no idea how i was going to sell that many holsters um but quickly ran out and had to restock um started making the hand muffs um not long after that and was selling those to SWAT teams and military, small military units, um, Afghanistan, you know, ended up, was going pretty strong at the time and, you know, Ranger battalions and actually some Coast Guard MSRT guys would order those, um, bino harness eventually, um, it was a little later, but that was, you know, one of the things that came on, I started doing those probably 2010 or 11, um, and, you know, just kind of word of mouth that I didn't advertise. Um, so it was kind of just people on the internet would tell people what to buy. And that was, you know, early on one of the, I know AGC was out at the time and Badlands was out. We were actually, mm-hmm. the first custom one I made was for a guy who actually works for me now. And he wanted something without a magnet cause he'd had a, a bad experience with a magnet slapping shut. Mm. Um, so, and he wanted it super low profile, no extraneous pockets or anything. So that was the first custom one. And then, you know, through his and my hunting groups in Bozeman, people started buying them and right place, right time being in Bozeman with yeah the hunting community here, you know, it kind of took off. Yeah. So, so First bino harness was was like 2010 or 2011. You were saying that that must have been pretty pretty early on in the bino harness revolution. Because I remember, you know, back in the day, like it, it kind of um, the like obviously the early bino chest things were like the elastic ones with the and you know they're open, no coverage. Um, yeah. it, like was that something that you guys had done had somebody done it before was it was it kind of like an offshoot of something else or so we how, had, how did you i had personally been wearing the you know that like you said the elastic you know cricket horn or um i think uh, there's mm-hmm. one made by ipi that used that elastic and it was just a little soft shell cover that kind of went over it and mm-hmm. and but you still used your elastic um and that that's what i had been using uh, Badlands was out. I I know that because they, you know, that was the one that was custom made right, to build around theirs. Um, AGC was out. Um, I believe he was one of the first ones. Um, I didn't I didn't know about him necessarily until I started digging into it and then realized you know there was one out there. Um, I remember the first time I had these made, you know, on a small custom run at a manufacturer. Um, about the time I got those in, I've, I'd seen that one that S4 made. Um, okay. Sitka had that early one with the zippers around that time. I don't know the date. Um, I think it was shortly thereafter, but I, I, I can't say for sure. But, yeah, it was pretty early on. Um, and then, you know, I'd started making, actually hooked up with, like, Matzinger, Newberg, and and Ranella uh, and nice. made their, their harnesses and, uh, Matt Singer and Ranella both, you know, had Vortex as a main sponsor. So they specifically mm-hmm. wanted the patch sewn on the front. And I did that. I remember Vortex sent me some hats and I cut the hats apart and sewed mm-hmm. the, the patches on there. Um, and then Vortex got slammed with questions about how everybody else could get those harnesses. So I actually ended up making some for their pro staff and then had a small run of those that they were, they, put on their website um i had some manufacturing difficulties and and you know ours are all u.s made so it's much more expensive and they ended up you know taking a 
a version of it over to China and having them made. Um, yeah. Mm. And then, you know, we still trade those in occasionally when people come in with them. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, it was, it was funny because it's a design that's been um, almost, I don't want to say, well, I will say copied, I guess. It's been, you know, by multiple brands over the course of different years um, to be, you know, always made overseas at a, at a cheaper price. Yeah. Well, and yeah, I mean, that's, uh, so first off, I mean, I absolutely love the, uh, like the, the elastic, you know, hook mm-hmm. that you guys have, I think is the, the best design. You know, I've, I've run the ones with the, the magnets and stuff like that. And I don't know, it's just, it's in terms of like being easy, um, you know, to undo the, the hook there in front and the elastic and just practical. It's not a buckle. The buckle ones are, you know, yeah. not to name names, but there, there are some companies out there that well, you may or may not have just been talking about that do the, the buckle. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's just always problems with, with those, especially the smaller buckles. Um, well, you know, they and just we, break and they're loud clipping and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we I, I definitely think was, that's the best design. Well, and it's, you know, we wanted something that was low profile and low tech, you know, it's less to go mm-hmm. wrong, less to mess exactly. with a mag, uh, you know, a compass or anything like that. Um, easily adjustable, um, and as low profile as we could get it. Um, that's why that one's not fully enclosed. It wasn't, you know, I didn't want to build a full box around multiple sized binoculars trying to get them in there. Um, mm-hmm. we're actually coming out with a new system here. We, we added a landing page to the website today to coincide mm-hmm. with the the latest meat eater um, episode because it shows the newest system pretty uh, clearly. So we wanted to have um, we knew we were going to get questions. Um, we weren't going to launch it until Western Hunt Expo, um, mm-hmm. which will be but- about the t- the time that we hopefully can start selling it. You know, by then well, it might be probably March, but. Um, we're going to show it off at expo, but we ended up throwing it on the website today. Um, yeah, like five hours ago. Um, it's actually nice. been live on the site. Um, and it, it's a more fully enclosed system that uses some magnets. So okay. uh, we'll, we'll still sell both, um, because we still get a lot of people that don't want magnets specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, we're pretty excited about, you know, the, the new design. Um, but like I said, there's still a lot of customers that, that like the old one for sure yeah oh and there's always going to be those people that you know they just like the they like being in on the company when you guys first started you know yeah. I, and I, I love love those customers you know we have those customers here at seek outside and we love those guys you know they're just super passionate about the brand but doesn't mean that like some of the new stuff that you come out with isn't better so right. um but i, I did want to touch on um, the whole American made cause, um, <clears throat> you know, here at seek outside, we, we make all of our stuff here, you know, they're sewing and cutting tents right outside, uh, the office here. Um, but it definitely has some challenges for sure. I mean, obviously, um, there's a lot of people out there that would just like to pay less money to have something that was made somewhere else. Um, and you know, it typically takes a little bit longer, uh, you know, to get things made in America, because you're not, you're not getting all the all the all the parts and pieces, all made and put together in the same place overseas, right? Um, what what have you? What are some of your biggest challenges that you've seen being a, you know, trying to stick with that made in America um, status? Um, I think for us, you know, like. I'm jealous of you guys having the, the capability to do uh, production right there in house. Um, mm-hmm. we were small enough and I, again, I, this was a side gig for me. I was too close to retirement to, to give up the, uh, the, the day job, but and Bozeman is not the place you can really set up a full scale, um, mm-hmm. facility like yeah. that. There are some sewers in town. Mystery Ranch is here. Sims is here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough to compete with companies that size, you know, when you're small trying to, to employ folks to, to really 
do the assembly and, and stuff here. So yeah. different parts of the country are easier to do that. Um, you have different skill sets as well as, you know, different cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'd say the biggest challenge for me was scaling and at my size, finding a company that could do that because we're using, you know, white label sewing companies. Um, and to be able to have someone that, meets your quality expectations and uh, communication style, you know, all of that stuff, you know, not being in town right here, trying to, you know, have a product be made somewhere else by someone who may not necessarily understand it and working that closely with them. I mean, it's got to be 10 times worse going to Asia or something like that to do that. But, uh, you know, typically the companies over there, you can, again, it's a scaling issue. You know, if you're big enough to go over there, you can have, you can travel over there and make sure it's done. And, and, you know, you're making a million of something versus, you know, sometimes we'll place an order for a hundred, 200 of something, you know, as, as we've grown, we've increased those numbers, but, um, you know, doing those small runs, like I said, it's hard to find someone that, will do those for you that makes it worth yeah. their time to do it yeah yeah and i mean it's just it's it's tough too because um and i believe especially in bozeman you know there's there's some cities where especially kind of aspirational like cities that people want to move to especially for like outdoor stuff a lot of the people that are moving there are not necessarily uh, and I don't know why they do this, but I I think that they'd probably be like, oh, a sewing job, you know, I, I don't I don't want to do that, you know. They they want the big flashy jobs, but man, I mean, our, our sewers here are are unbelievable, and like sewing is is such a great skill to have. I mean, just in ter- like I'm sure you could whip up. I'm sure you could whip up one of our tents if you really wanted to, (laughs) you know, you could do something like that. You could, it's just, it's your manufacturing, like anything in the manufacturing, um, just world is, is such a good skill to have because you're making stuff. It's not just like a, a skill that I I always try to think of like skills as something that could be, could be applied if, if like all the, if society went to shit. Right. So like, Doing recording pro- podcasts is probably not uh, an applicable skill to <laughs> when the world goes to shit, but sewing definitely is. So, but I, I could just see that being a little bit hard in a spot like Bozeman, where they, you know, I've I've been up there. My brother went to Montana State. Um, actually, got his wildlife biology degree. But you know, you go up there and there's there's a a little there's a sect of the population that's a little bit pretentious. Oh yeah, absolutely. Bozeman, we call you know the joke around here is Bos Angeles instead of yeah. Bozeman, and it's you know half the time you wander around on a weekday and wonder if any of these people even work or if they're you know I don't know working <laughs> yeah. from home or trust fund I don't know but yeah they're here to ski and have fun and be outside and and yeah. uh, it's definitely. I don't know. Last I heard medium, median home price in the gallon Valley was about 600,000. So just under like five, five eighty or something. Um, wow. which is hard, you know, for the college students are all stacked in on, you know, rooming a couple people to a room and oh, it's, yeah. it's tough. Um, you know, I feel lucky in that I bought before the COVID boom happened, but, um, and I realized that price isn't, you know, anything compared to some of the areas in the country, but, um, makes it hard to find a good group of people here. I've talked to a couple other people who've tried to have sewers or start facilities here. And that's been their biggest problem is keeping, finding and keeping people that, that can afford to live here. Yeah. Yeah. I I can imagine. Um, so, so you guys, um, obviously when did the when did you actually start selling like when did when did the llc or whatever your your actual business when did that start uh i think it was 2009 late 2009 i'd have to look back 2009 and i I trademarked my logo ended up getting it back from the state at the very beginning of 2010 um so somewhere in there and it was just you know selling on my own little GoDaddy website and you know doing everything myself and and 
yeah, it, it was, you know, PayPal buttons and cut and pasting HTML code into a, into a website. And, you know, it worked. It surprised me, honestly, how, how well it, it worked and how, how busy I was. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of has grown over the years and added things here and there and definitely, uh, over my head now, when you look at the website, I, you know, it's, I don't even have access to the back end of it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so you guys got, uh, beat by, or sorry, not beat, uh, bought by meat eater. Um, and you're, you're saying in 2020, um, did, so once that happened, um, I'm sure that there was, you know, obviously meat eater is a, a lot of people know about meat eater, even if they don't hunt fish, hunt or fight. Right. Um, they're, they're all, all over the place. Um, I'm sure that you guys got a little, little spike in business. Um, have you, have you with that? And like, I guess my question is, have you found that after that happened, um, do you have more or less time to do all the, all the awesome things that, um, Bozeman and Montana offer? Or has it stayed the same? Um, my wife and I would have different answers because she worked for <laughs> the company before and she's now in charge of brand management and marketing and all that kind of stuff. She is certainly busier than ever. Yeah. Um, you know, they took the accounting off our plate and the web design and that kind of stuff off our plate. Not initially, but kind of over the course of the last couple of years that has transitioned away. Um, I, I would say... I have more flexibility, uh, you know, mediator is cool. They have some perks, you know, I can, we have the time off, you know, if I want to take time off, I take time off. Um, mm-hmm. but I definitely have more time to design more, um, just because I'm not doing all the operational stuff and back end, you know, stuff that the team both at first light and, and mediator is doing for us. Um, they're, a a media company. So, you know, the, it's kind of a worked out in a marketing strategy where, you know, I don't have to go pay somebody to make a commercial. I just hand one to Steve and say, wear this on the next episode. And, you know, that's the better, best commercial I can have. Um, So uh, to answer your question, I I don't know if there's been a significant change on my end. I mean, I'm still able to get out um, quite a bit. Um, I do feel you know, before the acquisition, there was the only deadlines were put on by me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, well, if I don't get this done, then, uh, you know, I guess it doesn't matter. It's just something I want to do. And yeah. now, you know, there's you know, the the marketing side of things wants to plan two years in advance and mm-hmm. be ready and say, well, mm-hmm. if we're going to do that, we need to have this design finalized, you know, by this date to get it in production, to have it ready. Um so I'd say there's, you know, a little more pressure on everyone to try and get things done by a certain time. And so depending on how you plan, and I tend to be a procrastinator, um, you know, your time can be unlimited or your time can be really uh, stressful. Yeah, very, very stressful at times. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like to me that the the product development has been been going awesome because I feel like in the last year now, especially now after you guys came out with the the new rifle case, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I've been seeing some really cool things that you guys are putting together. I mean the the um, um, the uh, forgetting the name, but the the piece of aluminum that you can loop onto a, a trekking pole for a shooting yep. stick. I think. Yep. I mean, that, that thing is, is amazing. Um, you obviously came out with the rifle sling, which is uh, a quick release thing. And a lot of people are saying, I haven't personally tried it yet, but I saw you at Western hunt last year and I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, people love it. And then you just came out with this new rifle case, Mm -hmm. uh, which, which can float. Uh, and it's a, it's a soft case, right? Am, Am I correct that it's a soft case that can float? It is. Yeah. So it's a soft um, soft case, I, we used a Kevlar reinforced X pack for the, uh, the body of the bag. It's got laser cut laminate, um, Molly on the side, uh, for attachments and, um, water 
I say water resistant zippers. They're the, uh, you know, the YKK Aqua Guard. So they, um, mm-hmm. you know, yep. we can't, can't say it's a hundred percent waterproof, but, um, we did the video just a few days ago where we floated 40 pounds on it and yeah, you submerge it long enough. You'll get some water leakage around the zippers, um, zipper pulls. Um, but honestly with my rifle in there, it floated so high that the zippers didn't touch the water. And I think it wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken on any water. So yeah. obviously the goal is not to float your rifle around, but if, uh, if you did drop it out of a canoe or a float plane or something it you know, it's going to protect it. And, and the case is really, uh, um, it's not your standard, I actually brought one out here. It's not your standard, you know, Walmart soft case that's flexible. Yeah. It's, it's got very heavy duty foam in it and it kind of feel, you know, we joked about calling it a soft hard case just because it's so, um, you couldn't fly with it, but it's, you know, it's pretty stout. Um, yeah. and it fits, it's sized to fit right inside a hard case. So you could fly with it, um, take the foam out and then, you know, jump from the hard case to a soft case and not have to pack an extra one along with you. Yeah. So, and yeah, so, so you can put it in a bush plane cause obviously in most, you know, beavers and otters and stuff like that, the most of those backcountry planes, um, you can't typically take hard cases, but you can take the soft cases. So, but is there, is there like a law, um, in the, that the TSA, TSA has out there that you can't fly, uh, with a soft case or is that just like obviously recommended you don't want to fly with a, a soft case cause those, those guys yeah. are crazy. Um, yeah, <clears throat> certainly recommended. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't be able to quote the law, but yeah, it has to be a lockable hard okay. case, um, for TSA. Okay. So, okay. and that's again, why wow. we size this to go right inside of them. So it's just yeah kind of a one unit um transition in and out and then you know with the attachment points we've even seen people buckle these things to the um struts on a plane um or on the on a horse you know we used it as yeah. a scabbard on a horse last year and um it wasn't really made for it but it ends up working um better than we actually expected it to yeah, that thing's awesome. And especially like utilizing, you know, X-Pack and these a little bit more waterproof uh, materials um, on the on the out, outside. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know. I, I saw the video, uh, you know, because I saw that you guys had come out with the, the rifle case. And I was like, you know, I, I think I saw the, the price tag first. And I was like, man, I don't think a rifle yeah. case should be that much, right? Uh, but then I saw the video. Uh, where you guys literally put, what was it, four 10-pound plates yep. on the rifle case in the middle of, like, I don't know, the probably the freaking Gallatin River up there in, in Montana. And anybody that hasn't seen it should go check that out um, because it's crazy. I was like, there's no way, man. And, yeah, you had 40 pounds and a rifle on, side of the, on the top of this case, and it was still floating. Yep. Um, I, I just I love it. And it, it's great. It did- did really well till we had the dog try and retrieve it for us and uh dog (laughs) dog didn't know how to pick it up so she held it underwater for a while and and uh you know like i said you hold it under long enough you'll get a little seepage in through those zippers but it's it it we hadn't actually fully tested it with that much weight before that take and we really did one take with each weight and yeah we were surprised we weren't exactly sure and we knew it would float the rifle no problem but didn't know what the weight limit would be. And I only brought 40 pounds of, of weight with me. And, um, I, I think it probably would have floated another one, but, uh, yeah. it, uh, you know, it was starting to 40 pounds is a big rifle. So I think most rifles. Oh, yeah. Right. I don't, I don't think many people are going to be putting, uh, plates on their, on their yeah. rifles and sending them down the river doing a boat race, you know, one of them, Not, one of them uh, stick boat races. <laughs> tying cinder block. But you could if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, it's super cool. So so this, uh, it also has, um, it looks like it has molly attachments just all over the thing. So you can atta- attach, you can probably attach any of your, um, you know, shell, you know, your little shell casing, uh, the sh- shell pouch that you guys sell all your accessories. Is that 
Is yeah, that the accurate? Goal, the goal was to yeah be able to attach any pouches to the outside if you wanted. Obviously, the thicker you build it up, the less it's going to fit in a hard case. Um, but um, yeah, you can attach it, and it comes with a vehicle attachment kit, so you can um, mm-hmm. hang it hang it from your back seat or hang it from the the back of your front seat. Uh, I carry an extra kit on my side by side, so I can just with four buckles clip it out of my truck, put it right on the side by side, and keep going. Um, and it's got backpack straps with it, but the whole thing's designed to be super slick. So, you know, you can unbuckle that stuff and not have extra straps, you know, flopping around so that it's not getting caught or you're tripping on them, you know, when you're carrying it under a, like a boat gunnel or, you know, in and out of the plane or whatever. It's, it's meant to be super slick, um, or, you know, sliding it out of the back of your truck, you're not going to catching on everything in there if you're loaded with gear so you know we just wanted to again we we like to be slim and low profile and and but modular and be able to use it in multiple scenarios so yeah well it's uh you got uh a few different sizes right so you know if somebody's trying to roll with their 22 inch barrel 20 22 inch barrel 10 22 or they want to take their you know their you know their 26 inch barrel with the the silencer on it or the 28 inch shotgun you have different cases to to um you know accommodate for those right yeah and we did a a 35 which fits in a standard 36 inch case 42 inch and a 50 inch Uh, we went with a we started to go with a 52 um, to fit those longer suppressed rifles Um, but there's very few hard cases that would fit in Um, Mm. so we went with the, the 50 inch which got us a lot more um capability to to fit inside the a multitude of hard cases um and i carry a you know suppressed rifle um in the 50 and it fits um you know with a you know i said like with a 28 inch barrel and a suppressor on top of that you'd end up um, probably having to take your suppressor off but um it uh yeah so the 35 42 and 50 and and uh like I said, we kind of settled on those based on the most popular hard cases because we really wanted to be able to fit them in in those and have people not have to buy a whole new hard case just to accommodate this. Yeah. So what's your guys' product development uh, time frame? Like, do you guys have a set time time where you're like, okay, we're going to test this for a whole two years or a whole year, or is it just you test it until it's ready? Um. That's a good question, um, and I wish I had a hard and set or hard and fast rule. But um, you know, we've had products that first try out of the gate, we're we're happy with it, and we send it to production. And you know, we're from from whiteboard to production might be a month or two. Um, we have a lot of other products like this this new bino harness we came out with, where you know I've been working on that. I took it on my first hunt a year ago in January and ended up making some changes and, and we've had it with the meat eater folks and some, you know, trusted people that we, we work with and as well as the internal team, you know, for a year doing mm-hmm. all the seasons, um, making tweaks. Um, you know, now we're still finalizing with production to make sure we're, um, there, you know, and so I'd say that's been one of the longest ones that we've done. And, and I started working on it probably, last fall so you know i'm pushing 18 months probably of working on it testing it um, tweaking it and then getting it into production and then it won't you know be ready for sale you know we're hoping if all the materials show up in time then we'll have it for sale in in march so um and we'll you know we'll have samples and stuff at expo to show off but um yeah, that's probably somewhere in that range. I'd say anywhere from a month to two years, but um, usually it's, especially for the simpler products, it's definitely earlier. We we have been trying much better to get a, get samples out to folks so we can get content and mm-hmm. and you know get photos and video and all that stuff. So when we do launch a product, we're not scrambling to you know with all the questions. Hey, do you have a picture of it? you know, in this situation and will it hold this yeah. or will it hold that? We're able to kind of answer those questions ahead of time. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, the goal is definitely to, 
extend that so that we get more and more testing in um, prior to uh, launch. But you know, some of those simple ones you're able to get get in and out the door pretty quick. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for uh, something that's uh, hunting specific or like fishing specific, like something that's more seasonal, right? Um, I, I just know with with us, right? If more so with like backpacks than tents, you know, if we're coming out with a new breakaway backpack where you're trying to really test it during hunting season, yeah. I mean, there's sometimes there's only unless you have people that are hunting, you know, South America or other other countries and stuff like that. It's really only three, four, five months that you have to to really test it, and you can you can take stuff out and test it, um, you know, just going for a hike or something like that. But it's never going to be the same as you know, like you never know if you got a chest rig that um, maybe it works fine just walking around and stuff like that. But then when you get a when you get a thousand twelve hundred pound bugling bull at, in your face at eighteen yards, it yep. might act a whole different way than <laughs> than just yep. hiking down the trail. Yeah, packing a packing a, a pheasant or a turkey out of the woods is much different than a elk quarter so yeah, oh, yeah. definitely um and and we do our best i mean we we test these you know all the season everybody here is is big into the outdoors so you know we we're hunting all year long for the most part um or fishing or doing waterfowl or something um mm-hmm. so we're able to test it in a lot of situations but yeah definitely <clears throat> there are those few months of the year where it's unfortunately both our busiest time at work as well as the busiest time to try and test and get photos and you know yep. sometimes you just want to hunt and not not think about work but yeah um yeah i guess that's the name of the game if you're getting in the outdoor industry don't don't think you're gonna just be outdoors and not be thinking about work sometimes oh yeah exactly um so i got one more one more question for you i don't want to take up too much more of your time um but uh and feel free you don't have to answer this if you don't um, but, uh, I know, uh, both meat eater, um, uh, first light obviously just came out with their, their waterfowl line. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself am, uh, love waterfowling. That's kind of what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, uh, Phelps is kind of working on some, some stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys have any plans for maybe some more waterfowl specific gear coming up or? Um, we do, um, nothing. Well, yeah, we definitely have some waterfowl specific stuff. Some of it's stuff that we already make that will just be more of a waterproof material in their waterfowl patterns. Um, some will be kind of some accessory pouches to, to, um, complement those foundational pieces. Um, Mm. so definitely working towards, uh, expanding the line in that direction. Um, you know, kind of, I'd say in the entire fowl market, um, everything yeah. from turkeys to upland to waterfowl and everything. So yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a couple things in the works that, uh, um, you know, hopefully we can, you know, ideally we'll even coordinate launches of some of that stuff, you know, between those companies you mentioned, you know, so it, you know, gets the, the traffic that, you know, if somebody is interested in one, they'll be able to see the other and, and realize, you know, that it all works together. So, yeah, um, definitely, you know, able to work on the kind of the synergies of, of all the companies here. And that's, you know, again, one of the benefits of being in part of that mediator organization is, um, being able to coordinate and, and do that stuff all at one time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What about, uh, any other, any other new products that you want to mention that you want people to kind of be looking out for? Um, I'd say, you know, our, our biggest launch of 23 is going to be that new bino harness system. And mm. there's not a lot of details out there. Um, Jen got it on the website today and, and the folks at Mediator got it on the website today um, with a kind of a very vague coming soon. Here's some pictures. Um, doesn't definitely doesn't, uh, capture all of the stuff that's going to come with it, um, or, you know, be available to complement it. But, um, mm-hmm. but it, uh, that's going to be the biggest launch of 23 for sure. Um, that, okay. you know, like I said, all the stuff that comes, goes along with it and, and 
we're pretty excited about that. It's kind of been the focus of all the, all the energy. Um, yeah. you know, we'll eventually probably get into doing some, some, uh, duffels and small bags and stuff like that. But you know, those are down the road. So yeah, we'll see. Well, keep it up, man. I, I absolutely, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, what you guys are doing. And I think, uh, before next season, I'm gonna have to buy one of them, one of them rifle cases. Cause those things are sweet and been needing one for, yeah. for the trip. So, um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you jumping on and, yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for, for, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been, been cool. Yeah. Definitely, and um, I'm sure we'll sure we'll see at uh, Western Hunt or whatever. Do you, do you guys ever go to sheep show? You know, we're gonna run down to sheep this year. We uh, we won't have a booth, um, but we'll be there. Um, okay, shaking hands, I guess. Um, the, trying to uh, win sheep hunts. Yeah, trying to win sheep hunts for the most part. Um, we'll be at Western Hunt. Um, we we had uh, originally planned on being a lot of shows this year, but um, just I think with everything going on, we've uh, backed out of all of them, but that one. So uh, okay, yeah. yeah, that's where we'll be. I'll be at we'll right on. local BHA stuff. Um, you know, local. Um, yeah, wild, wild sheep, different stuff here in town, but sweet. Cool. Well, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at Western hunt. And like I said, uh, I really appreciate it, man. And have a good, uh, good rest of the week and good rest of the, the year and happy holidays and all that good stuff. Thanks. You too. Yeah. Right. Take it easy.